Jesus made a trip early in his ministry from Galilee to Jerusalem. We find the story in the fifth chapter of the book of John. The title of this message is Unstuck. Unstuck. Let's pray. Lord, we open your word today and ask that by your spirit, you would show each one of us how to become unstuck. For in one way or another, every one of us in this room and everyone who will listen to this broadcast on the air is stuck. I pray today you will lead us out of that place and into the freedom of the gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen. How Jesus escaped from his disciples, I don't know, but he was by himself. As Jesus went up to Jerusalem, there on the outskirts is a sheep pool or a pool by the sheep gate. It's called in the Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And I've always thought of this pool as being an Olympic-sized swimming pool. But when I actually saw the pool of Bethesda, I was greatly disappointed. It's no larger than this stage area, perhaps a little longer. Not very many people could gather around it. But it's described as having a large number, so they must have been jammed in pretty close. These are people who are sick, who are blind, who are crippled, who are paralyzed, and they are waiting for the moving of the water. They're waiting for an angel to come down into the pool to stir it up, and then the first one who steps into the pool is supposed to be made whole of whatever sickness they're dealing with. Now, there is a certain man who has been there at the pool for 38 years. His family would carry him to the pool in the morning, drop him off, perhaps with a small lunch, and with a, with a mat to lay on. Thirty-eight years. And in thirty-eight years, nothing changed. And so they were expected to become accustomed to their misery. Nowhere in the gospel do I find that we are to be accustomed to our misery. That's not the gospel. However, every one of us will spend some time beside the pool of Bethesda. As it's revealed to us that we are trusting in some circumstance 
or we are watching for something favorable to happen in our lives. We're waiting for a break. We're waiting for something to occur circumstantially that will tell us things are now going to get better. And so we have mixed into our expectations a sentimental belief in fate. Or perhaps some angel from heaven is going to come and he's going to open a business situation. He's going to perhaps come and heal a relationship. And so there's a great deal today of love for angels in our culture. Angel stores are very popular. People buy them and put them in their cars and on their refrigerators. Here and there, they want an angel to come and stir their water up. And then with positive affirmations, they expect that they're going to be able to do better. But as they're in this expectation of doing better, their life forces are draining away. And they're walking in their soul They're walking in their personality. They're walking in their expectations. But nothing changes. The finances don't change. Nothing changes. And so finally we become accustomed to our misery. Hoping that someday something will change. But nothing changes. So this man has been laying on this mat looking at this water, eagerly hoping the angel will come and stir it and he can roll over into it. But every time he tries to do that because of his sickness, he is unable to get in the water first. I wonder how many times he almost drowned. How many times in my life I've almost drowned trying to grab a hold of a new opportunity or a new possibility. Only to find that I'm there a dollar short. And I'm not able to take advantage of this wonderful situation. I used to call it the gap dragon. The the distance between what I can possibly accomplish and bring to bear and what is demanded in order to fulfill what I'm most wanting. Which of course for us as humans, is generally success. Part of what I've discovered and what I'm going to share with you, which I've known all my life, but I've not known, which I know today, is that the mind of God is an exact opposite of the mind of man. God's interests are not the interest of the mind of a man. His goals are not the goals of a man. He does not love to participate in any of the darkness of the world. He rejects it. And we have this short time while we have physical energy, as our energy drains away, as it does for all of us, 
to make the transition from the mind of man to the mind of God. The mind of God is righteousness and holiness. Not bitterness, not anger, not fornication, not stealing or lying or cheating. The mind of God is very different than the mind of man. So here this man is. He can't go to temple because he's sick. He's unclean. But he lays at the pool of Bethesda, which is right next. The wall of the temple is right there. So he is blocked from entering into the temple of God where the Shekinah glory is because of his sickness. And his sickness, we'll discover, is because of his sin. Because he has the mind of man and not the mind of God. Now Jesus, walking by himself, stands at that pool of Bethesda. And he sees the people cramped in around this pool. And all of them are sick. All of them are miserable. All of them have ailments. And all of them have sin. And he sees this one particular man. And he sees that this man has been here for all of these years. He approaches this man and he says, do you want to get well? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be created again? Made, created. Do you want to be made well? It seems like a cruel question. But after all, if he's made well, he'll be expected to get up and go to work. He will no longer be able to depend on his family to carry him to the water. And frankly, it was cool beside the water compared to the hot sun. So he has a few benefits he can look at. His family carries him every day. Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? And immediately he gives his reason for why he cannot be made well. Sir, I have no man that when the water may be stirred up, he may put me in the pool. But while I'm coming, another man goes down before me. So the reason I'm not made well is because everyone else is faster than I am. I'm too sick. I can't get there quickly enough. I can't compete. I don't have what it takes to go out there and make it. So I'm just laying beside the pool, dying. Dying. And Jesus speaks to him. I love the lavender translation. It is the literal translation. 
You get up right now. It's not you get up next week on Friday. It's right now, take an action. Get up. Take up your pallet and begin walking around. It does not say take up your pallet and go home. And by the way, the Jews are going to be mad if you carry your pallet on the Sabbath. So cut down this side street and get out of sight. No, you walk around the temple carrying your pallet. Immediately, the man became well. He picked up his pallet, and he just began walking around, meandering around. He's rejoicing in his new health. He's showing everyone he has the pallet. They all know he's been laying there for years. He's a a man who's been seen many times being carried through the streets. And now he's walking, dancing, carrying his pallet. It was a Sabbath day. And they come to him and they say, It is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry the pallet. They do not say to him, What happened to you? You're changed. Aren't you the man who used to lay at the pool of Bethesda? They don't say that. They're simply concerned about their law. And their law says, You don't do this. They question him. And he says, the one who healed me told me to carry my pallet around. Well, who was it who told you to carry the pallet? I don't know. I don't know who he was. And then Jesus appears to him. Jesus searches for him and finds him. Verse 14, after these things, Jesus finds him in the temple. He's in the temple. He couldn't go there before. He's now in the temple carrying his pallet. And Jesus says, look, having become well, you must stop sinning from now on so that something worse may not happen to you. You know, we are so unconscious of the cause and effect relationship between our actions and the result of those actions. And in my life, my cause has caused great pain in the result for me and for others. And that has utterly broken my heart many times. But now, Jesus walks through this with a blind or with a with a sick man at the pool of Bethesda, and the apostle John now wants to use this story to teach us how to get unstuck. Jesus tries to tell the Jewish people 
how to get unstuck. They come to him. They're angry. And they have decided they are going to kill him for doing these things on the Sabbath. They're going to murder him. And then, because of his answers, it's very obvious that Jesus is calling God his own father and is making himself equal to Jesus. And that enrages them even more. There is no interest in the miracle that has occurred. There's no interest in the marvelous moving of the Holy Spirit in the healing of this man. Instead, the entire focus is you have violated our religious principle, our law. And Jesus begins to talk to them about who he is. Verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son is not able to do one thing by himself except what he may see the Father doing. For whatever things that one may do, the Son does them equally. Now he's beginning to hint, if they'll grab it, at how to become unstuck. That not one of us can unstuck ourselves. We can't do it. To be unstuck is to have a miracle of God, a supernatural work, where God begins to come in. Now, you can either be satisfied with your life as you now have it, or Jesus is saying, you must recognize, I can't do anything without the Father. And as we move through this, you're going to see that we can't do anything without Jesus. And to be unstuck means that Jesus must come to us and he must ask us, do you want to get well? And if you do, get up now. Get into action. There are four things that we're told we must do in this passage. He walks with them. Again in verse 30, I am not able to do one thing by myself. This is the confession of the Son of the living God. He says, I can't do one thing. What do you think you can do? You can lay beside the pool and be stuck. And you can be miserable. Or you can work out your little machine and you can crank it and you can have your little deal going. But it's all flesh. It's not spirit. I'm not able to do one thing by myself. Just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father, the one having sent me. If I may witness concerning myself, my witness is not true. So any witness that I make about myself and my ability is a lie. 
That's what Jesus is saying. I cannot. This has to be a supernatural work of God. And for that supernatural work of God to happen, I must walk into the spirit realm and out of my own soul personality. God has to come. Now, the first step that we must take, and it's spoken here in the negative form, and that's why I read and reread and read and reread and prayed over these passages and, until it dawned on me he's speaking negatively about something very positive. Verse 38. In fact, you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, this one you do not believe. So number one in getting unstuck from the place where we're at is to have the word of God in our hearts. To have the Logos word in our hearts. This is the Logos word. It is to have the written word of God in our hearts. And this is going to require a great deal of time reading the word. Turning off everything that distracts us from reading the word. This is not a quick process. It was quick for this man. But Jesus then begins to teach them that for most, this will not be a quick process. It can be, but it's not necessarily. And for me, it's been a very slow process. But what begins to happen is I begin to get this word of God in my heart and he begins to change my thoughts and my feelings. He begins to support me. He begins to do what he needs to do to draw me close to him. I must have his word abiding in me. The only way the word of God will abide in me is John 15, if I then begin to abide in Jesus, to remain in Jesus, to stay in Jesus. Number two is found in verse 42. But I have known you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. If I'm going to be delivered, I'm going to have to have in my heart the love of God. The love of God comes to us as we abide in the word. As we read the word of God, we begin to see the outpoured love of God for us. And we begin to recognize the hard, flinty areas of our own heart. We begin to recognize where we hold to the Phariseeism of the Jewish people with our expectations and our rules. And as we 
as we have the love of God begin to flow into our hearts, those hard, crusty areas begin to get ground up. The judgments, bitterness, willfulness, pride, arrogance. Now, I'm not here to in any way pretend that this is painless or easy. It's not. But if we are going to be delivered from our stuck place, we're going to have to read the word of God and we're going to have to begin to allow the love of God to flow into our hearts. So much of religion today is philosophical. It's ideas. It's principles. All of that has to be broken. A person you love, yes, there are principles at the foundation of that relationship. Like a decision, I'm not going to bite them. I'm not going to yell at them. I'm going to be respectful. I'm not going to call them names. I'm not going to give way to cruelty. Those are all basic principles, but if they remain only principles and they're not put into place in the tender love of the heart, then the principles are just foolishness. That love of God that begins to flow out of the scriptures as the Holy Spirit begins to move in those scriptures, in that logos of God. There's no, do you hear from God? No, there's no rhema word, perhaps. But there's the logos word of God. And as we read that word, the love of God begins to flow into our hearts. And a strange thing will begin to happen. We're laying beside the pool and we become concerned about the sick man laying next to us. We, get, we begin to be concerned about how can I help you get in the water? Go ahead and get in the water ahead of me. The love of God begins to flow in the heart. So suddenly it's no longer about me and mine. It's about how can I help you? How can I serve you? This flows out of the reading of the word and abiding in the word. John 15. And as I abide in that word, my defenses are destroyed. The hard edges are ground up and a tenderness and a love begin to flow into our hearts. Oh, how much I need that tender love of God to overtake my heart. And that leads me to number three. Verse 44. How are you able to believe, you, the ones receiving glory from one another, but are not seeking the glory from God alone? The negative, but let's talk about the positive. There is, as that word 
begins to fill our hearts. And as that tender love begins to bubble up, there comes into our heart a decision. I'm going to abandon myself utterly and completely to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to utterly cast every point of pain into the hands of the Holy Spirit because he's going to use that pain to bring total mortification to my heart. He is going to use that to humble me and take those rough edges off so that that tender love can have full sway in my spirit. There comes a growing hunger in us that says, if it's not God, I don't want it. If it's not the Holy Spirit, I don't want it. I need God. I wonder today on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you need God? 10 plus, 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 plus to eternity? Or is it about a, maybe a one or a two? God, you know, I'd like you to take care of this. and I'd like to take care of that, God. If you'd release me here, if you'd send some money there, and then I'd be okay. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. That means I'm still living in the flesh. That means I've not been transferred into the spiritual realm. That means I'm dying. Number four. Verse 47. But if the writings of that one you do not believe... Speaking of Moses, how will you believe my ramas? We started with the Logos, reading it, reading it, reading it. Two, three, four, five, six times a year. Genesis to Revelation. Reading the word. The tender love of God begins to flow into our hearts. Until finally we come to that place of total abandonment. Total and complete abandonment to the Holy Spirit. No longer holding back in prayer. One of the signs of death in the life of a Christian is one who no longer weeps before God. One who no longer has strong feelings. Part of how we know the American church is so dead is that we only want to express ourselves in joyous flesh, music, and dance. But we don't want to cry out in agony over our sin. We don't want to weep over our sin, which says we are almost dead. There's very little life left in us. We've come to a time when we're going to have to let 
the emotions join as a part of the love, the tender love of God. And we're going to have to begin to see places where we refuse to abandon ourselves to God and stop holding back in private and public prayer. We must come to a place where we will distrust ourselves to ignore our own wisdom. To look to Jesus. Literally to look to Jesus for the most minute direction from the rhema word. The rhema word is the breathed word of the Holy Spirit. Now we no longer walk under the law. We no longer walk by principle. We now walk by the moving rhema word of the Holy Spirit as it is confirmed in the Logos word. It is very hard to hear God speaking when there is a soul full of noise and conflict and fear and ambition. It is hard to hear the rhema word of God when we are rich in whatever way we consider ourselves needful to be rich. We only hear the rhema as we begin to understand in the tender love of God, our own utter poverty of spirit. And that's when we come to this place of deep heart repentance directed by the Holy Spirit, where we simply say, I'm not going to hold back from God any longer. I am going to allow the supernatural work of God to accomplish in me whatever he desires and whatever suffering I must go through for him to accomplish that, I will go through. I will not resent it. I will not fight against it. I will not bicker. I will not pour out on others my blame and my judgment. But I will walk in tender love in the Holy Spirit, allowing total abandonment to consume me for Jesus, where my sins can be dealt with, and where I can finally begin to hear the rhema word of God. Because it is only the God-breathed word that can set you free from being stuck wherever that stuckness is. It's not money that delivers us. It's not work that delivers us. It's not hopefulness that delivers us. It's not planning that delivers us. It is not strategies that deliver us.
It is the God-breathed word of God that delivers us. He came to this man, Jesus, and said, get up. It was the command of God, the rhema word of God, the breathed word of Jesus to this man that caused him to rise up. And it was only the word of Jesus that could have made that man take his mat and walk around inside the temple and give witness. This man, Jesus, he's the one. And he said to me, leave your sin. That's a rhema word. Have you heard that word in your heart? Have you had that breathed word of God? Where you have made the decision for total and complete abandonment to the Holy Spirit, where you will no longer hold back in your prayer life. You will begin now to distrust yourself completely. You will utterly ignore your own wisdom for what you should do. Every time I've gotten in trouble, I've gotten in trouble because I have followed the fear of my heart and the human wisdom. And it causes great devastation. And it breaks my heart. causes pain in others, anguish, brokenness. Because my wisdom is always defensive wisdom. My wisdom is always, how can I survive in the flesh? And that's not, that is the opposite, the mere opposite of God's wisdom. Jesus wanted the Father to give him minute direction. And you know what I'm learning all over again. That often that minute direction comes from a brother's or a sister's mouth. A brother or a sister who has that tender love of God flowing in their heart. Are you stuck today? Or have you been set free? Mighty God of heaven, I have made a very clear vow that I will be possessed of your word, of your tender love. But almighty God, that I will abandon myself entirely and completely in all things into your hand.
and that I will listen carefully for your rhema word that you breathe to me in private or that you breathe to me through the tender love of a brother or a sister. Lord, come and set us free. You are the one who created the world in seven days. And then you had the grace and the mercy and the love to spend that seventh day with Adam and Eve, walking with them in the garden. Lord, thank you. Thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen.